Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week I'm speaking to Elizabeth Ogabi. Elizabeth is the founder of For Working Ladies. She is the author of Side Hustle in Progress and she's also the host of How I Made It Happen podcast. I've been looking forward to interviewing Elizabeth. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to connect and actually meet in real life, but I'm hopeful that after this episode we definitely will because it was such an interesting conversation. I know that we're both uh, really passionate about women and careers and business and professional brand and social media so we talk about all of those things today we also talk about elizabeth's book side hustle in progress which is super detailed she goes into such granular detail it's really a great starting point and like a toolkit for anyone who's thinking about starting their own business so i can't recommend it enough let's dive in to this week's episode welcome to the power hour i'm adrienne herbert wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Power Hour podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you doing? Yes, very well, thank you. It's a really nice day. I'm like really, like obviously recently it's been so dark and cold. And yeah. today I'm just like, wow, my whole office is just lit up with sunshine. So it's a good day. So today we're going to talk about business, side hustles, entrepreneurship, and the reality really of what it takes to build your own business or to create a portfolio career. So your book, Side Hustle in Progress, is a practical guide to kick-starting your business. And what I really liked about this book is how detailed the practical advice is. Because, you know, I've read a lot of business and career books, a lot, and many of them present a hypothesis and then they spend most of the book just basically explaining that one idea and giving more and more examples to support the same idea. Whereas with this, what was really interesting, and I guess it's maybe more challenging really to get your reader to really think about with a book like yours all of the different things that it takes so you know there's there's a whole breadth of things that we'll that we'll cover today and you did a really really great job of managing to get it all into one book thank you so much I went over the word count but (laughs) um I got it there in the end yeah and when there's so many elements you know as I mentioned there's like For example, there's creating the vision and then, you know, building your network or how to uh, test your MVP or think about branding, pitching. Maybe you need investment, legal considerations, trademark, NDAs. There's so much in there. It's really just great. I think like a great starter place for people. So I would love to know. First question for you, Elizabeth, is who were you thinking about? Who did you have in mind when you sat down to write this book? So I started a platform a few years ago called For Working Ladies, and it was more or less about supporting women in growing in their career um, professionally. And then um, it was more or less like similar to a Refinery29. So it started off as a content-based website. And we was just, I had loads of writers that I was managing. Um, and we had articles around, you know, how to ask for, for a promotion and things along those lines. 
Um, but I was also doing one-on-one interviews with women who had started businesses as well. And I realized those interviews were getting the most traction. And when we started doing in real life events, more and more women that were coming to the events, although they didn't own a business, they were so intrigued about it. So then I kind of geared the platform towards focusing on how to start a business Um, and more importantly, how to start it as a side hustle, because a lot of these women were also in their full time jobs and, you know, just could not leave their job to start a business. So my book really focuses on how to start a business alongside a full time commitment. And so really and truly, I wrote it for those women who wanted to start a business. And in the beginning of the book, I talk about the stats in comparison, like the stats of women in business and you know it's quite low and you know the reasons around that is really access to capital access to the knowledge and to the networks and things like that and I felt that my book would be a brilliant toolkit in helping you get started yeah well definitely is thank you (laughs) that was who I essentially wrote for but anyone could read the book and get some great advice on how to start a business but I definitely wrote it for those community of women Great. And there's two things there. One, the first thing that you mentioned around not not everyone can just quit their job. And, you know, sometimes that's the that's the proposition, isn't it? It's like quit your job, start your own. And actually the the gap in between of, as you said, building a side hustle, maybe doing research, getting feedback and like growing something a little bit, at least before you kind of fully commit to it, I think is really, really important. And then the second yeah. point around um, people yeah, not having access to capital, not having maybe the, the networks available to them, specifically women and, and women of color as well. And looking at VC yeah. and that kind of whole, you know, as we know, that real, I think the gap is it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like 90 something percent is VC goes to. It goes to men so do you think I'm seeing it more and more and more especially I think since I'd say like the last 12 to 24 months I'm seeing more platforms highlighting this more VCs kind of speaking on about how women need to be uh, I guess how to put their pitch together how to think about that so do you think that it's starting to have you seen that it's starting to change I mean it's obviously got a long way to go but is it starting to change so I have a lot of female founders around me And um, like in my own personal network, and I interview a lot for my own podcast. And even just today, someone who I know called Miriam just announced that she had raised 3.4 million for her own business called Oja HQ. Um, But I also know that she's been working on that business idea for three years. So I know the journey that she has taken in order to be able to get here, to be able to raise that investment. And the point that I made as well in terms of no connections or like access to the networks is so important because some people were raising funds on golf courses or in the pub or you know in boys clubs you know they have access to that capital because there are in these networks whereas the majority of women are not part of these networks and the majority Mm -hmm. of men sorry the majority of people who are actually in VC taking the leap are men which is why we're now trying to encourage more and more women to become venture capitalists so that they also have decision-making power as well. Um, So, but things are changing, but the reality is that when we look at the facts, it's still 2% that go to women. It's still very, very low, despite the fact that even in the US, from what I read, you know, the fastest type of growing businesses are owned by black women and yet they don't get the access to capital that they need to scale their business So there's still a long way to go. Um, I think the reason why it might look like, oh, a lot is happening is because 
there's more women announcing it and there's more coming out in the media. But, mm. you know, again, the detail and the facts are in the stats. So there's still a lot of change that can happen and that should happen. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right to to bring that up, that the spotlight sometimes can kind of be very different to the reality and the data and the numbers exactly. don't lie. You know, we yeah. see that we see that in sport a lot, you know, in, in for example, in female sport in 2019, only 4% of team sport shown on television was female sport, 4%. And wow. so, it's, yeah, right. And so people kind of hear that and they go, no way. And it's like, no, that is the stat. You can't, the numbers don't lie. So you're right. Sometimes the kind of visibility, there'll be a spotlight on something for a minute. And it's like, oh, it's changing, but really it's it's 2%, which is just shocking. Um, but yeah. bringing it back to, bringing it back to the book and, and you know, the, the entrepreneur's journey I think can often be portrayed on social media in a way that is very different from the reality I think one of the biggest myths is that you have to do everything yourself so from the start it's this you know hustle and do it yourself you know roll up your sleeves build a website write a press release do your own invoices be you have to become an accountant now grow a social media following like all of these things and sometimes you do have to wear a lot of hats for sure at the start of your journey but I also think, you know, there's there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you probably need help with. There's only so many hours in in a day. We only have so much energy. And also we have different skill sets and different strengths and weaknesses. So do you think that it's a good idea to outsource or to pay someone else to help you, like maybe from the start? And if so, which things should we pay for and which things should we absolutely do ourselves? Yeah, I mean, so... There's this saying, I can't remember what it's called, but it's talking about focusing on what you're really good at and outsource what you're not good at. Um, and so, for example, if you know you have to do accounting, for my like example myself, I just would not bother with that. I would rather outsource it. The things that are too complicated and take too much of your time is best to outsource. Um, things that I think that you should be focusing on yourself are the relationship building aspects of your business. So, for example, with Four Working Ladies, the way that we used to generate income was through brand partnerships. And so mm-hmm. when it came to pitching, I would want to do the pitching because yeah. sometimes getting the no from a yes was really showing the passion that I have in what I'm doing and really being able to paint that vision. And at times people just can't do it like you can. But that being yeah. said, you can get a team or a person who you know, truly believes in what it is that you're doing and can sell it just as good as you. But I think that takes a lot of time. But um, things that are about building relationship, even sometimes with customers, I think sometimes in the in the early days, no one can do it as good as the founder. Um, and a brilliant example is, I don't know if you know the Stack World. Mm-hmm. It's a media company started by Sharmadine Reed. She yeah. is all over it. She's always the face of the brand. You know, when she runs the Monday Motivations sessions on Monday. That's where she gives everyone updates about how the business is going. She's always talking about it on social, encouraging people, speaking at events. And honestly, I feel like if she wasn't doing that now, there most probably wouldn't be as much traction or as many people coming to the um, network. But, you know, people were seeing her vision, they're buying into it, they love the passion. And that's what's attracting them, even though it does deliver great value. But I think in the early days, it really makes a difference when you know, the person who's running the business is at the forefront, really talking about it and sharing the vision and um, connecting with the customers. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that idea of not necessarily everybody wants to have this kind of personal professional brand, but I really yeah. agree that that now you kind of, I've kind of think, as you rightly said, you know, people connect with people and the passion and the energy that you have as a founder for your business, it's almost like, it's almost like your baby, you know, you know everything yeah. about it, all the stages, you care so deeply about it. And as you said, you can portray the, the story and the passion and the message and answer pretty much any question probably in a way that will make people excited and they'll see that vision too. And you're right, of course, it's going to be difficult for someone else to come in and write a press release or do something to pitch the idea in the same way that the founder can. But what about if someone is, yeah, they have a great idea, they want to build something, but they just like, you know what, maybe they're hyper introverted and they just hate the idea of having to build a professional brand. Do you think it's possible in 2021 to do it without being the face of your own brand? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the traction you will get and the response from um, customers will be different um, because the truth is there are great products out there. We don't know who sell them, but we buy them. Um, And sometimes, you know, we buy them simply because they work and they're good. But when you know the founder and you understand their mission and their vision and that they're creating something specifically for you, It gets, you know, it gets to a point that when they're selling something, even if you feel you don't need it, you want to buy it to support them. (laughs) Or I don't know, there's just this kind of connection that you have with them that you want to support them and you want Mm. to see their business grow. Um, So it's very possible. But at the end of the day, I think the relationship you'll have with your customer will be very different. It will be extremely different. Um, but it is possible because I have seen people do that. I don't think you have to be, you know, a hundred percent out there. I think it's important that in the early days that even if it's just you giving 10 to 20%, you know, and saying that, okay, I cite this brand. This is why I started it. Just sharing the story. Yeah. Then that can be good enough. And then you can just allow the business to grow without you being the face of the brand. But I've seen brands grow and personally, the ones that the founders tend to, in the early days, be the face and doing all the championing tend to be much stronger and they tend to have much more loyal customers as well. Mm, Yeah. So you spoke to a lot of different founders uh, in the book and you share their stories and their advice. And actually recently had, I recently interviewed Nicole Krenzel on the Power Hour. And I know she was, uh, yeah, I know she was featured uh, quite early on in the book. I really enjoyed hearing that and reading that and the detail of her journey because it's just, it's been brilliant to watch. So was there anything that surprised you when you were asking so many people about how they'd built their businesses? Um... Not really, (laughs) if I'm honest, but the things that stood out was one, a lot of people did not know what they were doing. And it's funny because people look at entrepreneurs and just assume that they have everything put together. They know everything from scratch. And one thing that everyone always says is that if I don't know, I ask someone who does know. And people Mm -hmm. forget that you don't need to know everything to start. Um, Most people who were creating tech companies, and I say tech companies because they're they're the most complicated, have no clue in the beginning, but they connect with, you know, engineers, they connect with UI designers, UX people and and get the knowledge or outsource it. So um, that was one thing. I think another thing that people don't really talk about is the importance of self-belief. Like self-belief drives action. 
when you lack self-belief, you actually don't take any action. And a lot of these founders had a high level of self-belief. Of course, there was doubt along the way when things didn't happen. But at the back of their mind, they said, I can do this. And it's the audacity that you have in believing in yourself that allows you to keep pushing and to be resilient. And so those two things really stood out for me. It's just having the audacity to believe in yourself and believe that you can do what it is that you want to create. And also secondly, just not actually knowing everything and just being willing to ask and learn away and learn along the way. I totally, I love that so much because I'm someone who says all the time, actually, that I have audacious goals. And I I use the word audacity or audacious because I really, truly believe that you have to, as you said, have that kind of almost like a blissful ignorance around your own self-belief. And and not in a way that's like, you know, it's not an arrogance that's like, oh, I can do anything. But it's almost this, I have this, like, I almost call it like white man energy, where I just think, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm that person who thinks, why can't I do it? Like someone's going to yeah. do it. So why not yeah. me? And it's interesting that when you mention, you know, the word self-belief and again, going back to that point around only 2% of VC going to women, I tr- I I don't think that the the two have to be correlated that, you know, for a lot of men who do have maybe a different kind of self-belief. I mean, I've certainly seen it in different working settings in my life where I've seen men who aren't particularly they're not, you know, particularly talented. They're not the most organized. They're not the best at communication, but they just have this such self-belief that if any job that comes up, they think they can do it. And if they don't know how to do it, they just say they'll do it and just figure it out. And they're just so confident in their own ability. I see that in my husband a lot and it's so annoying. (laughs) I should be mentioning (laughs) him, but I see it in him a lot and I learned from it as well. And I've said to him, you say things so confidently and you do things so confidently and sometimes you don't actually know and I picked that up from him and I just find it such an interesting aspect of being a man just this confidence of thinking that yeah I can do it or I know it or I'll figure it out and um you know I don't want to say that women don't have that but we haven't been encouraged to be like that So we've kind of been encouraged to, you know, go away and overthink things and overlearn things. And the truth is some people just have an idea. Most white men just have an idea and they raise like, what, three million or something to back their idea that they've not even actually implemented. So it's interesting for you to like say the... um, the confidence of, I mean, people say, yeah, have the confidence and the audacity of a white man. That's what they say, because um, it tends to be them (laughs) that behave like that and get the results. Yeah. Oh my gosh, of course. And it's not to say, of course, it's not to say just have the confidence without, you know, the stuff to back it up. But I think that ultimately, if we could, I think we could all do with a bit more of this audacious self-belief. And I'm thinking specifically now about a friend, I'm going to just call her out and send this episode to her because she started her own business like two years ago. She's grown it. She's, she's done so well. And I always say to her, will you come on the podcast and talk about it? And she always says no, because she's like, I, I, I can't come on the podcast. I don't have, I don't, know like my almost like my advice is just you know I'm just making it up as I go along like she doesn't have the confidence to to be a guest on this podcast because she doesn't think she has anything to offer and I'm like you have built this by yourself for two years you have a lot to offer if you've been in business for two years maybe like I think it's just that sometimes we don't see the value in ourselves or we don't see the value in the lessons that we have gone through Um, And maybe there's a lot of comparison going on as well, but 
if you've been in business for two years, you have a lot to offer to someone that has not even started or to someone that has started, but maybe has taken like a different route to you. Um, so if she does listen to this, <laughs> just know that you have got loads of value to offer and don't overthink it. Just literally talk about your experience and start from there. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be putting the pressure on her to come and be a guest. <laughs> and one more thing you said then around uh, not knowing exactly what you're doing and that being okay. Uh, there's an author that I love, Adam Grant, and he talks about this yes. a lot. He actually just tweeted this the other day that he said, there's such, it takes confidence and humility to admit when someone asks you a question, I don't know. You know, I don't know the answer and I'm going to maybe find out from somebody else who does know. And especially in a leadership role or as a founder position, that takes confidence to be able to say, yeah, "Yeah, of course, I don't have all the answers. And I think that's quite liberating as well to not have to feel like we have to lead by example and say that, you know, everything, but just admitting Mm -hmm. and holding your hands up saying, I don't really know, but maybe let's try and figure it out. Yeah, no, it's so important. And I think by saying, I don't know, I will ask someone that's kind of like having a growth mindset. It's not saying I don't know. So well, that's the end of it. It's I don't know. I can learn. I can ask someone. And it's really taking the steps to say that, okay, things can move forward. I don't need to be stuck here. Mm, yeah for sure and of course it's great to hear success stories it's great to learn from others it's great to to hear people's kind of end journey and and they reflect back and talk about the highs and lows and how they got there but what about those ideas that don't work or the side hustle that has been a side hustle for 10 years and it still hasn't kind of you know gained momentum or taken off because there's always an element of risk you know in life and in business Mm. and let's be honest even if you're employed of course there's still you know you you don't have job security these days anyway but sadly I think many people learned as a result of the pandemic that their job security or, or, or the structure that they work in can just change in a minute so should be should people I guess be prepared for I don't even want to use the word failure as if it's a bad thing, but yeah, let's use the word fail. Should people be prepared to fail? Should they think about that? Should they have a plan B or should they just be laser focused on finding a way to make it work at all costs? I think when you're starting, just focus on the positive things and focus on the good and, you know, focus on what you can. When you do get to the road of this is not working or I might need to pivot, that's completely fine. I think you should ask yourself, okay, do I need to stop or do I need to change? Um, But like you, I don't really believe in failure because for me, you're in a better off position from someone who hasn't started because you started and it didn't work. You've learned some lessons. You've most probably built a network. You've gained a lot along the way that you most probably can't see for someone who hasn't started something. So you're not actually in the worst position ever. Um, So... I believe that it's all about kind of like reflecting, reflecting on the journey, reflecting on the lessons, taking the good out of it and saying, okay, if I do something next, what could I do better? What should I avoid? Um, And I know that investors actually like founders that have started more than one business. If you failed before, they actually don't mind because they they always say something along the lines of you would have a good network or you would have the community or you have the experience. So they don't Mm. actually mind investing into founders that have failed before. It actually also shows that you have resilience and you have the audacity again to even believe in yourself after the first, you know, thing that didn't work. So 
don't necessarily think about the failure, but if it comes, it's completely fine. If it doesn't work, it's okay. And, you know, you can pivot. What we see today, what we see Facebook to be today was not what it was in the beginning. I mean, now it's metaverse, (laughs) you know, it's changed (laughs) so many times. But for some people, when they have to change their business, there's this element of, oh my God, I'm failing. It's completely fine. And that's how business is. You should kind of see as an experiment to an extent, an experiment to an extent. One thing is not really working well. Let me change it. And if it's still not working, then you can can completely stop it. Yeah, that's awesome to hear that you don't have to hide those failures. You know, you mentioned founders, you know, people aren't put off by the fact that they've tried something before that didn't work. And regardless of whether we're thinking about entrepreneurship and starting a business or any aspect of our lives, not feeling like we have to hide our failures or that because you failed at something once defines defines that thing and you should just you know never do it again move on try something else actually you know we've all heard those stories right where we get told you know fail get knocked down seven times get up eight or whatever it can sound a little bit harsh to say this but i I, you know if you have a friend if you have a a sibling a a child maybe who's got their heart set on maybe they want to be you know a professional singer but they're really not a good singer it's really difficult maybe to kind of say to people you know keep going don't give up you're just gonna you're gonna get a hundred no's and then one day you're gonna get a yes and actually I heard Usain Bolt talk about this in the film I Am Bolt he says that he doesn't believe in late bloomers when it comes to sport and people kind of gave him a lot of stick because he was just like no you've either got it and then you can work hard and you can obviously graft and get better and better and better. But if you haven't got it, you haven't got it. And it's like, ouch. What do you think about that? Do you think if someone's got this like laser focus set on something, but everyone's telling them like, this is not a good idea. This is not going to work. Do they just need to be like Dyson and keep going till it works? Or do you, when do you think it's time to listen and give up and say, you know what? Find another dream. Yeah. Oh gosh. I'm stuck on this one because... <laughs> I do think there's an extent to which you can have some perseverance and you could most probably learn the skill, but at the same time, it might be that it's actually not physically possible. So it really, really, really depends. Like it depends on the context of what it is. Mm. Um, So I don't really have a yes or no answer for that question, to be honest. I don't, yeah, it really depends. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. That's fair. It's nuanced. But we both love practical advice, Elizabeth, both you and I. And, you know, we like to think about the future. You know, if we think about the future, at least, say, 12 to 18 months, which platforms do you think, uh, I guess, like with all the media, social media, mainstream media, which platforms do you think are going to be the most important and the most impactful for professional brands and businesses? And what do you think will change in the next year or two if you had to kind of try and trend forecast for us? Mm. So the new one, I mean, it's not new. It's just changing, isn't it? Metaverse. Um, Facebook is now becoming metaverse, which is supposed to be this new world, this virtual world. I can't necessarily say how that's going to do for professionals, but I know it's going to happen in the way that Mark has visioned it, envisioned it. Mm. Um, I can't say how businesses are going to tap into it because I haven't really looked into it much, but I think it's definitely something that I know the big brands are really going to take advantage of. Um, And everyone's always looking for a new experience. So I think people are going to be willing to engage with brands through it. Um, In terms of personal brands, I think that LinkedIn is so like people overlook it and LinkedIn. Mm. And I guess because previously it's just been positioned as this professional, very boring tool. 
But people had really good conversations on there. And especially as a founder, if you're looking for investment, that is where you will find investors. That is one of the places anyway. I think talking about your journey, sharing your journey on there is so important um, and can attract loads of eyeballs. I've had, you know, a lot of people contact me through um, through LinkedIn because I share a lot of the work I do on there. Like I was sharing my process of writing book. I was also, you know, I share who I'm interviewing. I share the things that I'm interested in. And due to that, I get like a lot of feedback and like a lot of um, invitations to like speaking gigs. So I think LinkedIn gets to be, you know, it's overlooked. And if you do have a personal brand that's connected to your business, definitely use that. Instagram is still popping as usual. And so is Facebook. I would just say that in terms of target audiences, they're very different. Facebook Mm -hmm. has more of a mature target audience. So if you're looking for like more of the 40s upwards, I think that they tend to use Facebook more. Though that being said, Facebook groups are still being used by, um, I would say millennials. I wouldn't really say Gen Z. So millennials are like um, 38 and below to about, let's say from about 27. And then Gen Z really love TikTok. I cannot find myself using TikTok, but, uh, (laughs) but the thing is with TikTok, there's so many different ways you could use it, whether it's, it's to entertain or to educate. Um, but yeah, so Twitter as well, I think is more for like having conversations, but even Mm -hmm. as a brand, you can still engage on Twitter and not be selling a product, but be building a very, you know, strong personality that does, get people to engage with you, gets them to go to your website and realize the type of products that you sell. So I think Twitter is also like a great place if you've got a lot to say um, as a brand, is a great place for you to really get yourself out there. And then one more thing, the place that you own all your data is email. Like people overlook email so much. It's, It's the thing that you own if Facebook goes, if Instagram goes, if all the other social media platforms go, what do you have? You have your email list. So I think despite having all these um, social media platforms, build your email list from day one, have all your customers sign up and make sure that your GDPR um, aligns. So you're not doing anything, you're not not using anyone's emails incorrectly. But um, yeah, I think those are all. And then there's also, again, depending on what it, it is that you're, building there's the audio platforms as well mm-hmm. um like clubhouse again if you're building a personal brand getting on clubhouse hosting talks interviews you know podcasts. great places okay. yeah exactly podcasts as well um so many different platforms but yeah, i definitely does... think that the facebook and instagrams are still leading followed by tiktok yeah. maybe so much great advice here so much useful information and i think i totally agree with you that linkedin is hugely underrated and to be honest that even when people say it i kind of give myself a nudge because i'm like adrian i literally check linkedin so sporadically i never do updates and then i'll just see there's all these like messages and connection and obviously then i'm like okay am i going to message this person back who sent me a message in august it's like come on so linkedin definitely underrated i myself need to kind of just wake up and get involved um instagram i was pleased to hear you say that you think it's still popping because i definitely hear people people kind of saying oh instagram what is going on now like engagements all over the place you know the algorithm changes yeah. all the time people don't know how to build an engaged audience anyway but yeah. yeah i mean people are complaining about instagram but they're still using it do you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. the kids that are throwing the toys but they're still playing with the toys 
So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I can't see anyone, you know, not using Instagram, despite the fact that they're complaining about the changes or, you know, things that they feel aren't working. I still think it's going to be relevant. I totally agree. And it's funny you said that about people complaining because I literally saw this Twitter thread the other day from someone. And this is going to sound a bit salty, but she was like, Instagram, the algorithm's like all over the place. Like no one's seeing my content. No one's seeing my ad. She was like, I'm just going to leave Instagram. And I was kind of thinking, girl, no one is going to care. Like, although you might be like, (laughs) right, I'll show you Instagram and just up and leave. Like, no one really will notice. And the only person that will be detrimental to is yourself. So yeah, that was kind of a bit odd, but I, I do think there's a lot of <laughs> frustration when people say, you know, they, they kind of try and figure out the best way to engage on a platform. For example, if it's like, okay, we want you to use reels and we want you to use video content. And then, well, what if that changes and it's different? But I guess that's kind of to your point about email is that the different platforms are going to have different variables, which they control and you don't. So you can kind of get in the arena and do your best or, as you said if something like email build a really strong email um you know whether it's a newsletter whether it's just uh capturing emails as signups and as i think you're right like giving value to people where their attention is instead of saying well this thing's changed and now i'm gonna yeah be mad about it um but given that so we've, we've listed them all I was asked by somebody the other day uh, who's recently qualified as a nutritionist and they were asking me for advice around professional brand and, you know, all the different platforms and where should they start and what should they give their time and attention to. And I, my advice to them was don't try and do them all. Like don't try and start eight Mm. channels or six channels or whatever. I said, pick two and just go hard on those two. So firstly, do you agree, you know, instead of spreading out like a fire hose approach, kind of just picking the the platforms where you think the attention is either less saturated or where you, you enjoy kind of making content. And if so, which, which two do you think maybe you would pull your energy and time into? Yeah, I mean, I say this in my book as well, like don't put your energy into all of them. I think you have to first understand where are you going to find your customers the most. So for example, you won't find me on Facebook, um, like being hugely engaged on Facebook, but I could most probably do some promoted content on there. Um, But it's really understanding, number one, where your customers are going to be. And you can understand that by looking at data, if there's any like previous data or by number two, actually testing every platform out and then saying, Mm. having a, you know, like a period of time where you say, I'm going to test these all out and then look back at the analytics, look back at the engagement and say, what's been the most effective and then focus on the two that have been the most effective for you Um, Mm. in terms of your friend that's a nutritionist, I would say, you know, the two really, there are quite a few great ones. So what people want to know from nutritionists is that they want to know what they should be eating, right? The different types of things. They want value from them. And what a nutritionist can do is they can teach you how to um, live and eat better or, you know, whether that's through making dishes. It really depends on what type of content they want to create. So there's things like YouTube, Then there's obviously Instagram that's more visual led and audio led. Mm. Then there's obviously things like podcasts that's more audio led. So depending on the type of content you want to create, you know, it would really depend on the type of platform that you should use. But I think that because video and audio do really well, things like YouTube and Instagram are really great platforms for a nutritionist. Um, Mm. So yeah, I would say, yeah, 
one of those. The problem though with YouTube is that it's video content, right? So it's either going to be long form or short form. And you have to ask yourself, do you have the expertise to create that? If you don't, then maybe just stick to Instagram. Um, Mm. And then like, I think email as well is really good. If I had a nutritionist speaking to me via email, giving me like tips here and there, I would sign up. I just haven't seen one yet. Um, Okay, that's great. Yeah, you could find a unique way to create really engaging content whether it's like a series um yeah so there's so many different ideas to be honest yeah I mean it's great advice and similar to you I kind of discussed these different options and I also said that you know kind of going more specific so you know nutrition okay big topic but my my advice was go specific so are you going to be creating you know are you doing content which is for let's say vegan nutrition or are you doing content which is for say families and children or are you doing really scientific content where you're talking about the macronutrients and the science behind what it's going to do or are you talking about you know if you get specific as well Mm. then I think people know what to expect so whichever platform you're on like you said that could be a really unique thing like yeah an email newsletter that's giving you the science and I guess the like about the hormones and the vitamins and the minerals of all different foods maybe that's really specific and as you said if you haven't seen it and somebody wants it I think you're right whatever you're doing on these platforms there's so many people out there creating content at every second of the day every second you press refresh there's another you know thousands and thousands of posts yeah so you've really got to I think um whatever your idea is whatever the platform you choose then get more specific than you than you maybe think you need to so that people can see really clearly okay this is the value I'm going to get from you um but anyway a bit of a tangent there But I'd like to move on to talking about daily routines. And before we talk about the power hour, I'd love to talk about routine and structure just in general, because I think, you know, it's been very hard to see the blurred lines between work and life and living. And I think I did a tweet the other day that said the problem with work-life balance is that it places work first, because that's usually the order of priority. And let's try and put living at the center of life. And people were like, oh my gosh, yes, I am here for this because it's just so hard now to kind of you know I I hate to use the word boundaries because I think it gets used so much but I think it's hard Mm. to extract shall we say it's hard to extract the life from work life so do you have any advice for people right now who are listening to this and thinking I have no clear uh, separation between my work life and my life because I'm passionate about my business because I'm passionate about my brand it's just all I do how can they I guess if they if they want to start to yeah have a bit more balance yeah I think you have to be really intentional and just not hope things will just figure itself out You've got to be intentional in creating the time for those things in your life, for work and for the personal things. And for me, what helps is actually having a schedule every day. Um, If you do run a business, you know the things that you have to do on a daily basis. So you could kind of put them in a schedule. So you can say between this time and that time, this is what I'm doing. Between this time and that time, I'm doing this. So it's really understanding the things that you have to do on a regular basis and put them in a schedule. So, for example, I try not to do anything on Fridays because Fridays I try to focus on reading and just catching up on articles and all the great things that's happening in the business world or in, you know, around like women equality. I try to spend that day consuming and the other days not. So for me, I think that you have to be intentional in creating 
the time for all those things and just not hoping it's just going to fall into place and say, I mean, everyone says, oh, I'm so consumed by my business. Aren't we all? But um, I think if you create the time and you create a schedule, that helps in, yeah, creating boundaries. It's the truth. It's so overused, but it does help you create boundaries. Yeah, and I guess giving the same amount of priority or importance to that time as you do to your work time. So I think often when anything overflows or any commitments kind of spill over, the first thing to go is the schedule in the schedule is the things that are there for yourself. So that might be reading articles. It might be going, you know, to do exercise. It might be anything that is there for you. I think people quickly just go, Oh, I don't have time for those things anymore. I just need to carry on working. But I think if you yeah, ring fence that time and just like you would, if it was a a meeting you wouldn't you wouldn't just decide to miss it so really try and be i guess i guess quite quite strict in that approach hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. But let's talk about the Power Hour. So... Firstly, Elizabeth, I'd love to know, are you an early riser and what time do you wake up and what does the first hour of your day include? (laughs) I wake up around, automatically, I wake up around like 5.36 and sadly, the first hour does include me picking Mm -hmm. up my phone and checking my email. Um, And then after that, I mean, the first hour, I always just go to the gym Mm -hmm especially now that we're working from home. So I will walk to the gym. I will try my best to walk to the gym instead of getting the bus actually, because I just want to have like breeze, fresh air. Um, Yeah, so that's the first hour. It's in the gym, it's working out. It's just really kind of stretching my body. Um, And the gym for me just really motivates me for the rest of the day. I notice when I don't work out or do anything that requires me moving in the morning, I'm not as motivated during the day. So I definitely, I, I have that in as part of my routine. And when I don't, it Mm. just makes me feel like I'm all over the place. Um, and although the goal for the gym for most people is to look good and stuff, of course, but it also helps me mentally. Um, it's also just my own time as well, before I decide to get Mm. on any calls or dedicate time to work, it's just time for myself. And I just absolutely love it. That's actually one of the best parts of my day, actually. Yeah, I mean, that really is the essence of the power hour. You know, I always say it. So people who've been listening to this podcast for a long time probably could uh, recite this word for word themselves. But I always say that in the mornings, that first hour, if you don't reclaim that time for yourself, you know, if you don't decide intentionally how to spend that time, someone else will. You know, that time will be taken from you, whether that is straight into emails, whether that's straight away attending to your kids or your spouse or whatever else is going on in your home. I really want people to hear that because so many people that say they don't have any time for themselves will say like, oh, it just feels really selfish or, you know, it's quite self-indulgent. I just don't have that time, Adrienne. You know, I have a job and I have kids and I have these these kind of commitments in place. But rightly so, as you said, you know, if you can have that time, A, because it's for yourself, but B, if it can be to include, you know, exercise, gym, running, whatever, it doesn't actually tire you out and make the rest of your day slower. It has the opposite effect, I find. It's like it's 
yeah, it charges you up. It gets you energy, it gets your brain thinking, gets the oxygen flowing. And then after that, you're just, okay, give me, you know, let's yeah. go. Everything's ready to go. So I really want people to hear that, especially as I think you're going into, of course, going into the, you know, winter months. And one, one thing I was thinking though, when you said about walking to the gym, uh, I don't know how far away the gym is for you and whether it's lit where you live, but do you, do you feel safe and confident to do that? Cause I've had quite a few questions recently. I'm an early morning runner and a lot of questions I had on DMs last week when I posted in the morning that I was out running they were like oh my gosh like you're running in the dark like it's not safe do you feel safe on your own um so yeah do you, I'm just interested to hear uh, how you approach that in the morning yeah I mean I do actually <laughs> despite everything that's been happening I mean it's sad it's sad that I have to ask yeah, yeah I, I mean say, it's sad it's, that I have to ask that question but it's a good question right I actually do feel safe I mean it's not that it's about 15 minute walk it's a 15 minute walk I mean I felt yeah. much safer in the summer obviously but um yeah, I mean, I don't, I feel safe, but then I'm always, I think I've gotten used to just being aware of my surroundings and, and have, I've also gotten used to walking and looking back. So maybe I'm now saying that I feel safe because this is my norm. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I think I've just gotten used to having to be aware and being careful to the extent that I think this is what is called safe. But yeah, that's what I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible, really, that I have to ask that question. But I just noticed, as I said, I got this influx. I came back from my run and I was like, wow, what did I do? I just got this influx of messages because people were saying, you know what, I'd really like to run in the mornings. But yeah. they were just like, you know, it's dark and they don't feel safe. And I, I do think, of course, it's a concern mm. for women to feel it was, you know, it was mo- it was predominant. It was all women that sent me those yeah. messages. Um, and yeah, I just think about it because I, yeah, I don't know. Really. I was just thinking, dark, do you- there are like nuisances outside I remember when during the lockdown in the early days I went for a run it was not dark it was about 8 a.m and there was a guy that literally just stood at the corner crossed his leg and was staring at me working out I was so disturbed and I was so shocked because I thought to myself what if it was dark but you know this was like broad daylight and sadly from there I had to keep asking my husband to come out with me to work you know to work out outside um, and that really pissed me off, actually, yeah. because I didn't want to have to keep dragging him out to come out with me. Um, but yeah, it's such a shame that we can't yeah. just go out and work out freely. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, if, of course, you know, be, do things that you need to do to feel safe. And obviously, you know, I, I responded saying, you know, I use, is this going to sound so lame and, <laughs> and it looks really ridiculous, but I just don't care where I live. It's literally the, my running route, there's an area of the route that is literally pitch black. So I have to have a running torch. Like I literally have ah. like, a, like a, one of those like really old school, like trail runner kind of geeky torches, but I have one of those, but then also I just, I don't run in black clothes. So okay. I try to make sure I'm wearing like light running kit just for kind of safety from cars and stuff like that. But I think generally just, you know, like, yeah, having having my phone and even my headphones, I try to turn my headphones down, yeah. like, so I want to hear things around me. So, yeah, it's it, like I said, it's bad that I have to bring it up, but obviously wanting to encourage people to be active in the mornings, of course, yeah. but to feel safe doing so as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Well, before we wrap it up, because I've really loved this conversation and connecting with you, Elizabeth, I mean, the pros and cons of this digital kind of hybrid 
hybrid recording situation is that you know it's amazing you know your podcast host yourself being able to connect with people all over the world anytime any place is wicked but what's not is that you know for the first two years of this podcast I used to record in a studio in Shoreditch in London and I'd sit down opposite the guest and meet with them so it's a shame that we haven't been able to connect yet in real life I really hope that we will soon I'm sure that our paths will cross soon Um, but before we wrap up I just wanted you to let everyone know where they can find you online and of course where they can get the book so you can get side hustle in progress in every bookstore i believe but you can also get it online on um amazon and you could visit the website sidehustleinprogress.com you could also visit my own website elizabethagabi.com um on social media i'm at elizabeth Ogabi on all social platforms um and anything else is really on the website And lastly, my podcast is How I Made It Happen, where I interview women who have started businesses all at different stages from those who were just starting out to those who have gone on to raise millions for their business. Awesome. Be sure to check it out. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for giving us your time today. And as always, thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Have an awesome week. See you. Thank you. Bye.